Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. And for the next hour, we're going to be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you'll get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show, blocktalkradio.com slash pgant. Send messages to the show on Twitter. At go for it can't G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Hit us up on the website, go for as we continue to talk sports and have fun doing it. Great show lined up for you today. Expect to be joined by former NBA player, and this guy has a new book out. Craig Hodges. Craig Hodges has a new book out. Uh Long shot, the struggles and triumphs of an NBA freedom fighter. And if you know the story of Craig Hodges, you know that Craig ultimately, you know, he went to the White House back in 1992, you know, had a daishiki on, you know, kind of militant for his time. I mean, just, I don't know if it's militant per se, but he was just ahead of his time in terms of what he was doing. And so ultimately that act may have cost him his career. But he talks about in this book, he also talks about it. Uh, he will talk about it when we join him, when he joined us, excuse me, in the next couple of minutes. But Craig Hodges will be joining us. And also going to talk NBA Finals with our NBA analyst, Rider University assistant basketball coach, Marlon Gill. So we have a great show. We got a short time to get there. So let's go get it. So we got to start with the NBA Finals. And, and obviously, 3-0 now, and at this point, this series is pretty much over. No team has ever come back from 3-0 in NBA in NBA history. And he had last year, obviously. No team has ever come back from 3-1 in NBA Finals history. But Cleveland was able to do that. They can't come back from 3-0. And, and it took a lot for Cleveland to come back from 3-0. It, it took Bogut going down. It took Draymond Green getting suspended in order for, you know, in order for Cleveland to win. So it, it, it took a lot for the Cavaliers in order for them to be in position to win the NBA title. It took a lot of help. And they got a lot of help. And so I don't see that happening this time around. It, it would take almost an act of God in order for the Cavaliers to win this series. History has told us that you're down 3-0 in NBA history. It don't happen. I remember Portland a few years back. They were down 3-0 against the Mavericks. They got into a seventh game, but ultimately they lost. It takes a lot, a lot, a lot to come back from 3-1. It takes even more to come back from 3-0. Has not been done in NBA Finals history, NBA playoff history, NBA history, period, point blank. So, how did we get here? How did we get here? Well, first and foremost, we got here when Golden State signed Kevin Durant in the offseason. That's how we got here, first and foremost, because signing Kevin Durant made a 73-win team pretty much unbeatable. There's not a team on the face of the third that can beat the Cavaliers. Not the Cavaliers, excuse me, the Warriors. There is not a team on the face of this earth that can beat the Golden State Warriors in a seven-game series. They're just too much, too much firepower, too much Kevin Durant, too much Steph Curry, too much Klay Thompson, too much Draymond Green. They have too much firepower. 
It's just that simple. Too much. And it's, if you look at the games, you can see that it's too much. Game one, Cleveland outscored by 14 points in the second half of game one. You know, they stuck with them early, stuck with them throughout. You know, game one, they were down eight points going into the break, got outscored by 14 points in that second half. They lose by 22 in game one. Too much. Too much firepower. Game number two. Cleveland is down three going into the break. Second half, outscored by 16 points. 16 points. And then you lose by 21. I mean, (laughs) it's just too much firepower, man. It is just too much firepower. This team in Golden State is just ridiculous what they bring to the table. It's just ridiculous, man. Ridiculous. You're up three, and then you end up winning by 19. So it's all about the second half. Cleveland just wore down in that second half. Too much. Too much firepower. Too much KD. Too much Steph. Too much Clay. Too, too, too much. Okay. We go to game three. This time around, you know, Cleveland is down at the break, down by six at the break. But in the third quarter, in this particular game, game three, Cleveland outscores Golden State by 11 in that third quarter. So Cleveland kind of pulled the Golden State in that third quarter. Then the fourth quarter came. And Cleveland was was rolling along. And then they get outscored, what, by 11 points, 11-0. To end the game, they lose by five. It's fatigue, man. It's it's not having enough to handle that firepower. How do you stop a team that, without Kevin Durant, won 73 games? And I know without Kevin Durant, obviously you added a bogey. Obviously you had a Harrison Barnes. You, you had Barbosa, Spates. You had a few other guys. I, I know that Warriors team won 73 games last year, but this Warriors team won 67 and undefeated in the playoffs. It ain't never been done. And there's a good chance they could end these playoffs undefeated. And if they do that, we got to start talking, man. We got to start talking about this team in terms of all time. Obviously, you got to talk about the 96 Bulls. Obviously, you got to talk about the 86 Celtics. Obviously, you have to talk about uh, the 83 Sixers. I mean, you got to talk about some teams. Shaq and Kobe in 2000, 2001. Um, You know, those Lakers that won 33 games in a row. You got to talk about them. I mean, you got to talk about some teams. But I think you got to talk about the Golden State Warriors. 67 wins in the regular season and then a possibility to go undefeated in the playoffs. I mean, that's impressive. That's impressive, man. That is some impressive stuff. To do that? 16-0? I mean, obviously you circle at the beginning of the playoffs the first to 16. But, man, they're going to get 16 quick, fast, and in a hurry. Zero to 16 real quick. Also, we talk about why Cleveland is down 3-0. Look at LeBron James by a quarter in this series. Game in the first quarter, he's 39 points, 73% from the field. Second quarter. He's 25 points, 71% from the field. Now it's the second half. Because we look at game one, I'll score by 14 in the game one in the second half. Game two, I'll score by 16 in the second half. And in game three, I'll score by 10 in the fourth quarter. So, third quarter, 21 points for LeBron James in this series, 40% from the field. 11 points in fourth quarters, 
36% from the field. So LeBron is, is wearing down. And Cleveland is wearing down because of the pressure. There is a lot of pressure when you play a team like the Golden State Warriors. There is a lot of pressure when you play a team that keeps coming at you and keeps coming at you and keeps coming at you. I mean, this team ridiculous in terms of how they shoot the three ball. Ridiculous, man. I mean, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson. And I look at that, that shot by Kevin Durant that took the lead. How in terms of scouting court, and, and maybe it was fatigue, but Kevin Durant loves that shot in transition. He loves that three-point shot in transition. He loves it. He loves it. And I don't know how LeBron, I, I don't know if it was momentary insanity, but I don't know how LeBron did not know that and did not step up to try to contest it a little more. Because at the end of the day, that three, the two, you're still tied. A three, you're down by one. And obviously when it comes to Kevin Durant, he can hit that three easily. LeBron, you know, maybe it was fatigue. He's playing 41 minutes per game in this series. So maybe it's fatigue. But I think he needs to go 48 in order for Cleveland to have an opportunity, a chance to win. They might win tonight. Maybe pride. But this series is over. We're going to bring in a guy now. He's a champion. Won two titles with the Chicago Bulls. He's a champion. Won three straight three-point contests. This guy can shoot it. And this guy was an activist. And this guy was busy in his community, doing big things to his community. And now he has a book out, Long Shot, The Struggles and Triumphs of an NBA Freedom Fighter. We're going to bring in a guy now. Got a big-time book out there. Long Shots, The Struggle and Triumphs of an NBA Freedom Fighter. This guy, three-point sniper, he would be a, a beast in today's era of basketball. I mean, this man can shoot <laughs> like no other. Let's bring him in now. The one, the only, Craig Hodges. Craig, how are you? I'm doing fine. Appreciate the opportunity, man. How's everything on your end? Everything is great, man, and thanks for joining us. Let's get right down to it. 1992. Okay. You won an NBA title. Ultimately, you went to the White House, and you decided to hand George Bush a letter. Uh, and right. in that particular letter, you talked about some of the things going on with African Americans within the United States. Ultimately, that cost you a lot of money and may have cost you your NBA career. Do you regret giving that letter to George Bush? Well, you know, the main thing, once again, I just want to thank God for getting the opportunity to speak to you guys. For the main, you know, the main reason I wrote the book was to let people know, you know, my side of things and what went down and a lot of speculation on the Internet and everything about, you know, I wrote a letter and the letter was very militant or whatever, but, you know, it was really just a compilation of my experience in life and, having grown up as a baby of the movement, knowing that my responsibility is is to a larger community than myself. So I was making sure that at this opportunity, you know, getting a chance to go to the people's house, uh, I wanted to make sure I went correct. I went in our, in our culture, in the cultural garment and dashiki, and I, you know, I've been writing letters all my, you know, student career in life when from elementary school through high school and then the college to you know, the people who held office that affected my people. So this was no different. So was the, in your opinion, looking back on the letter, what, was it militant? Mm-hmm. Did you did you think the letter was, was anything out of the ordinary? No, not at all. And, um, you know, um, I'm going to make sure you get an opportunity to read it at some point, and hopefully you will, uh, so that you can see it. And I think everyone needs to see it is, is from the standpoint that, it wasn't. It wasn't intended from a militant slant, nor was it a militant slant. It was more from a um, people slant. That it was about poor people. It was about people who are disenfranchised. And you know, I can specifically speak to my own. So it was that. It was. It was that. And it wasn't anything about, you know, the war or any 
of that. I was just asking to consider our issues the same way you consider foreign policy. So obviously, it cost you some money. This particular matter, <laughs> and at the end of the day, ultimately, obviously, you wanted to let George Bush know and, and let the country know uh, about some of the things going on within the African American community. Let me answer this. Absolutely. Be- because it cost you so much money, do you think in hindsight you should have chosen a different way to do it? Well, you know, hindsight is what it is, man. But for me, it was a cultural imperative at that time. It wasn't about money, and it still isn't about money. It's about um, what we can do to exercise our freedoms, what we can do to exercise the fact that, you know, we we stand for something larger than ourselves. and you know, the opportunity to, to earn a living at that point in time wasn't, you know, wasn't really forefront in my mind. I was um, I was a two-time world champion, a three-time three-point champion. I didn't I didn't consider myself to be in jeopardy of a, a, a employment. So it wasn't really thinking that this was going to happen or it would be a better time if I go ahead and earn money and take a chance that, oh, I can do this after I get paid. It wasn't like that. And I think Many times that if we consider that, we're not really committed. Um, I think the commitment is in, you know, the possibility <laughs> of the ramifications thereof that we speak about and, and the sacrifices of others that were before us who had to put up with the same garbage. Let me ask you this. And, and obviously your goal was equal rights. So obviously your goal was to, again, shed light on some of the things going on with the African-American community. Racism is one of those things in America that, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to change, and I don't see mm-hmm. it ever changing in this particular in this country. What about you? Do you see well, a, a possible change? Oh, absolutely, and 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 for me, that's one of the things. For me, um, I liken it to having a palpable feel of winning the championship. Um, to know that freedom, justice, and equality is is on the horizon for all those who have been disenfranchised, everybody that's poor, every you know, it's coming. And it's not coming by our own volition. It's coming from power much stronger and, and more powerful than us. It can only come through uh, nature and the creation. It can't come from any man-made situation. And I think it's just a matter of the cycles of time and the cycles of life are lending itself towards it being our time again. So when I look on the horizon, some of the things that are going on, some of the turmoil and chaos in the UN and in the, in the nations of the world, it's reflective of the struggles of not only us, but those people who have been on the bottom. And that, you know, nature and the course of time are reconciling those differences that we who are poor or we who are disenfranchised can rectify. So it's larger than us. And you know, the energy of just the young people, the energy of the millennials who are seeing things from a different eyesight, so they're going to operate differently. And pretty soon they're going to control the world. So I think it's, it's time and it's, and it's moving in that direction. The fact that we're having this conversation, the fact that you're able to come across the airwaves with a different conscious mess- message is showing us that um, it's proof and parcel that it's happening. We're talking to former NBA star Craig Hodges. Craig has a book out, Long Shot the struggles and triumphs of an NBA freedom fighter. So let me ask you this. Back in 1991, NBA Finals, you tried to convince Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, to boycott those finals. How did they react to your suggestion? Well, both of them felt like it was too severe of a move to make. And I had to remind them that, you know, the precedent had been set in 1963 with the with Jerry West and Elgin Baylor, but I doubt if they were even listening to me because I we consumed with winning championships or what have you. But I felt like at that moment in time, we had the power of the two most recognizable and possibly greatest basketball players to play the game, that if they speak up, then things, people will listen. And that's why I feel like we have to make the most of opportunities when the light is shining on us because the light reflects off of us and it can reflect upon people to get a different mindset and a different understanding of things that heretofore haven't been clear to them. And I think that that's what we are as athletes. People look at us and, and model themselves after us and they don't know the inner workings of not only what's involved in becoming an athlete as far as the training and the like, 
but also the inner workings of once you become an athlete and you're a marketable athlete and you're out there looking for salary or trying to get a salary, it's a different political game that's being played. So did you think ever, you know, for you back in 1991, did you think maybe since they're not going to do it, I'll just do it myself. I'll boycott the NBA Finals. Did you ever think about doing well, that? You know, you know, and the thing about that is that I understood I understood the magnitude of what's happening. It wouldn't have been, you know, and at that point in time, for me, it's a, it was a unified uh, situation that I wasn't, I wasn't looking to disrupt, really disrupt anything, you know, to that degree. And I'm, and I don't, and when we, when I think in that time, and I, and I think in times now, is that this is a collective man, it's, and the collective responsibility. So when I look at Colin Kaepernick doing what he's doing on his own, that's cool because now you have the safety net, and, and you also not just the safety net of social media, but you have social media that that can tell and tell people about the struggle that you're going about. So for me, it wasn't anything where I was trying to upstage anybody or trying to walk out and and and, and boast or anything like that. But I was just trying to galvanize us as a, as a brotherhood to make a step together as opposed to me doing anything but trying to show MJ or Mike or Magic Up or anything like that. So over the years, you've been very critical of Michael Jordan and his lack of activism. Talk about that. Well, you know, in, 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 all, in, in all of the conversations that I've had uh, concerning MJ, I always preface all of it by saying to whom much is given, much is required, who, what you study, oftentimes um, decides what you speak up on. And, you know, lately he's been speaking, he's been speaking forthrightly the issues based upon him coming to his consciousness about speaking to it. And that's what I always said that, you know, I would love to have had you make your gym shoe in America, but I understand the powers that be that, that control um, oftentimes we're not the ones who are controlling our own image, and that and that goes goes with Michael or or anyone else who has some um, ties to corporate America and, and and contracts and you know and the like. So you know I, I've never really uh, given much credence to athletes being able to totally change this condition. I just say that we can be a helpful part of it, and that. Oftentimes, when we look back from the outside, we don't know the inner workings of how our hands are tied, you know, contractually. So right. I can't, I can't get on brothers who go after their bread to make sure that they can feed their families. Um, I'm not opposed to that, but my thing is that with the monies that are being made today, and some of the guys who made the monies that they made back in the day, we could, we could have leveraged it, and we can still leverage it to be able to, to create programs, jobs, and the like to the tune of billions of dollars, but we just have to choose to make those moves, whether it be with our endorsement contracts. You know, I see in the day where LeBron is $80 million as one as the second top athlete in the world in salary made. Then we go down the line to the last athlete, uh, African-American athlete, and what will we find and see what the aggregate income will be of us as a community of athletes. And that's what I've always proposed, not anyone taking all responsibility or taking a quasi-leadership role, but us all putting ourselves together and becoming one mind and one conscious vehicle that can change the condition of our people. Now, everybody has a strength. Everybody kind of has a lane. At the end of the day, activism, was that just not MJ's lane? Um, and I, I don't even want to say that that's not his lane because we see where he is today. You know, and activism is not only standing up for, I think activism is, is selling Nike gym shoes, honestly. You know, you're taking, you're making an active role in, in making that happen. So I think it's just a matter of what we choose to be active about. And when we're talking about a consciousness that, you know, he understood the fact that if I don't, it's going to help my shoe sell. So he understood at that point. So obviously, now, at this point in life, he sees it from a different lens, understanding that he has children, and I'm sure grandchildren on the way. So it's one of those things that now's the time for him to be able to lend his support to these causes. And, I'm, you know, I applaud that, man. And it's not about us creating any more animosity or any more beefing about anything. It's about us making sure this next generation is uh, safe and sound and 
able to reach their full potential as human beings. We're talking to former NBA star Craig Hodges. So ultimately, you didn't play after 1992 in the NBA. You felt like you were about right. blackballed. Has anybody Absolutely. in the league ever confirmed your feelings? Nah, not at all. And I don't, and I wouldn't expect it. Uh, I had one brother, Billy McKinney, who was the general manager in Seattle at the time, who said the most he could tell me is that brothers have jobs too. You know what I mean? So, it, you know, when I look at it, so many times the questions that you ask are answered for you just based upon the frivolity of it and how frivolous they are when they answer them to the point where, you know, people talk about me not being able to play defense when I'm shooting the basketball, man. It ain't, I'm not Dennis Rodman. I'm not Scottie Pippen. I'm about putting the ball in the basket from different from distances, being able to space the court, being able to stick and stick in, uh, to game plans and paying attention to detail to a game plan. So it's not. It wasn't about my professionalism. It was about my ability to speak to the and articulate the issues of black people, man, and being able to get brothers who were my squad members to feel what I felt and being able to give them information to, to qualify what I was saying. And that was the part that I feel like, along with Jason, uh, with Colin Kaepernick, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, the same thing that, you know, it's, a, it's a, a certain light that you shed when you when you stand on principles, man, and, and the powers that be aren't, aren't, aren't in that same light and they don't want that light shed on their corporate entity. And you, you speak of Colin Kaepernick. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks get signed in the NFL, and, and those quarterbacks aren't as talented as Colin Kaepernick. At the end of the day, I mean, it, it does seem like Colin Kaepernick is getting blackballed. Do you see that? Uh, no doubt, man. And you see it happening already, and, and that's the whole thing is that silence is violence, silence is acquiescence, so... As it continues, they'll, in in my in my guesstimation, they'll continue to try to downplay the fact that nobody's picking him up. And the closer it gets to the season, nobody will pick him up. And pretty soon, it'll be a star on the horizon who will have the media's attention. And pretty soon, people won't. It'll be, man, what happened to Colin Kaepernick? You know what I mean? And and then at that point in time, you know, you're out of the league a year. It's going to be tough to, you know, in that sport especially to continue the mindset and the training to be able to prepare yourself and stay prepared. And that's, that's the problem that I face. But I think basketball is easier to <clears throat> be out a year or two and still come back and play because of, uh, you don't have the sheer collision sport of uh, football that it is. So, Craig, ultimately, I mean, you ran into some tough financial issues. You sold your championship rings. You you sold your three-point contest trophies. And, you know, obviously you needed the money. Take us through your emotion during that time. Well, man, you got to feed people, man. <laughs> you got to feed your babies, man. You got to, you know, and it's not a matter of, you know, to feed yourself. That things are what they are, and they are what they are, and they're not, that's not a, a spiritual, that's a physical. And I understand that it's about, moving forward and ele elevating your consciousness. Sure, you want to have them for your grandbabies and everybody. Hey, that's great to have and all that. That's cool. But at the same time, the realization of what it was, it was the experience of us actually going through Detroit, going through New York, going through Boston, going through L.A., and actually being able to put your finger up in there and knowing you've uh, accomplished something on a cooperative level more than the rings themselves. So that, that for me, was... It, it it enabled me to look at it in a in a in a logical way, not in a not an emotional way, and to, and to take the emotion out of it and look at the reality of of where I was in my life. So, and you know, it's one of those things that happens. You know, you rather not, you rather you prepare yourself, and that and that was one of the things that I tell young folks all the time. For me, I was focused on hooping. I wasn't focused on the business side of things as well as I should have been. And you know, I just applaud my sons for being able to bear with me through it and to be able to be conscious young men and go on to be collegiate scholars and, and do their thing and graduate from college. And that's not, that, that part isn't highlighted enough to me um, that, you know, I was able to, to come through this without the, the multi-millions and, and still be able to raise my sons where they're where they good, good brothers. For sure, we're talking to former NBA star Craig Hodges. So, Craig, 
We saw what happened with LeBron James, his home in Los Angeles, spray painting on his fence, the N-word. Ultimately, LeBron addressed the situation, and he did it very eloquently. Your thoughts on what happened with LeBron and how he addressed the situation? Well, I, I like I tell people all the time, um, I don't think we could have a, a, better, a better model for young athletes um, as our top athletes, the way he carries himself, the way he understands, the way he handles himself on a diplomatic level at times to, to the degree that he has and the way he's matured to be able to speak to the media in a, in a manner that's forthrightly and thoughtful and not, and not fly off and handle it from an emotional standpoint. Although I understand, I'm sure it's emotional for him, but he's able to put the best face on it and go out and, and do what he's supposed to do on the court as best he can and understanding that, you know, he, he doesn't have the, uh, he doesn't control what, what, what some fanatics out there may do. And he realizes uh, it comes with the territory and he understands the, that we're in a racist environment today and that, you know, the they versus we is prevalent as opposed to us realizing the respect level of us as human, as a human family and us understanding that those ills of our communities and our nations have gone on from a historical standpoint and let us get, get a clear historical view of things. And I think LeBron understands the historical relevance of where he is today and where we are as a people today and the racist entities that go along with that and that he's not immune to it and that he saw that when he you know even to the point where i you know i look at that yeah that's something but what about the people that was burning his jersey and burning him in effigy when he left to go to miami you know right. so on that level even so it's it's a uh, you know some deep psychosis going on man when, it, when we're talking about racism man so you were a sniper big time three-point sniper Obviously, mm -hmm. the three straight three-point contest victories. How would Craig Hodges be in, in today's NBA? Um, well, you know, I, and you know, just okay, just taking from just going and doing what I did in this game, it would be cool. To, it would be cool to see, man. Be, it would be cool to see um, how many threes I could get up a night. You know, if I, I, I would love to have gotten up seven a night just to see where. You know how many nights I could be six or seven and stuff like that because my whole thing was not just you know I look at a lot of guys who are just shooting threes because of this analytical thing going on and they might be two for seven and and that's cool because you're almost at your point production rate of a point per shot or a point for a number of shots so it's one of those things that for me I look at it differently I was about practical shooting that. I was not a volume shooter. I didn't really get that opportunity to volume shoot. I had planned on being a, becoming a volume shooter after my free agent because I had won championships. Now I could just go out and, and go after the individual accolades. But that not having, having happened, I still look at the game in a competitive way because I didn't get a chance to shut it down the way a lot of other guys did. So I look at it in a different competitive way where I would love to have come off a screen and rolls and just shoot the ball with a free conscience, and you know you, every time you touch it, you can you carry the threat because you can put the ball in from three-point line. So it would have been fun to it would have been fun to play in this generation where there's no hand checks, you know. And, and likewise, it would have been fun to see how these guys would have done in our era where you played a more physical brand of basketball. For sure. So, what is going on with Craig Hodges today? Well, right now, just uh, doing stuff with my book signing, uh, doing some stuff here in Park Forest in my hometown at my at my alma mater high school, Richie's High School. I, I coached there this past season, and we're looking, you know, we're in summertime, improvement time, and we were in the gym today earlier. So it's about um, getting these young folks to realize the importance of student athleticism, but right now it's the importance of having a safe and peaceful summer, not only here, but to your listening audience that, we have to make a safe haven, our community become safe havens to get young folks to realize that you have an impact in this, in this world and your life is important and, and that not only is it important, but it's something that's expected of you. So we have to put the challenges out there for our young folks and that's what we're trying to do on a daily basis as far as getting them to realize we're going to be in the gym, come up here, work out. Don't be a knucklehead about the way you work out. Be serious about it and know that there may be some potential there for you. But if not, maybe you should go play soccer. <laughs> <laughs> so we got the NBA Finals going on. Who, who do you think wins it? 
Well, right now, the way it looks to me is that, you know, Cleveland doesn't have enough weapons. Um, they, you know, they have the weapons necessary to win the championship, but their offense isn't um, the type of offense that's going to get it down for them because you can't play isolation basketball when you're six, one, six, two point guard is going against Place Thompson, who's almost six, seven. And so it's harder for, uh, Kyrie to be able to get his one-on-one game on LeBron is going to do what he does. Um, but I think systematically they don't, they don't move the ball and move people enough to get good options at scoring enough points. So it's going to be tough for them to be able to score 115 points, man. So I think sure. it's a done deal. For sure. I mean, and that's basically what I say. It's just, uh, excuse me, Golden State just has too much firepower. And it's going to yep. be very difficult. How do you think your Bulls teams would have matched up against this Warriors team? Well, it would have been more like uh, Bulls and four. <laughs> A sweep. <laughs> Five at the most. <laughs> but I ain't hating. I'm just, and I just throw that out there like that because when we tell when we always talk in these comparisons, you can throw anything out. And it'll stick because can't nobody really say. But I feel like our first championship—I feel like our first championship team would have been able to win in the physical era of basketball. There would have been no doubt what we've done in this era where you can't touch nobody. MJ would average about sixty. <laughs> you might be right. You might be right. So, fans, the book, long shot, the struggles and triumphs of an NBA freedom fighter. Make sure you get it. Make sure you check it out. Make sure you can check this man out on Twitter, Craig Hodges MBA. Go to the website, hodgeonhoops.com. That's hodgeonhoops.com. Go to Target. Go to Amazon. Go to Barnes and Nobles online. And make sure you get this book, Long Shot. Appreciate you, brother. Craig, absolute pleasure, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. We'd love to do it again. Thank you, man. And to all your listeners, y'all have a peaceful and safe summer, man. And um, be good out there. Appreciate it. Will do. Take care. Peace, peace. All right. Craig Hodges, former NBA star. Got a new book out there. Make sure you go get it. Big time book. Doing big time things. The book is Long Shot, the, strength, the Struggle, excuse me, and Triumphs of an NBA Freedom Fighter. So make sure you check out that book. We're going to bring in a guy now. Continue our NBA Finals talk. Go back to our NBA Finals talk. I mean, you look at the NBA Finals now, three games to nothing. Uh, Golden State's up. Series is pretty much over. No team in NBA history has ever come back from 3 0. But I guess anything is possible because last year no team has ever come back from 3-1 in NBA Finals history. Well, 3-1, 3-0, two different animals. We're going to bring in a guy now and talk about it. Let's bring him in now. Rider University assistant basketball coach, Marlon Gill. Marlon Gill. Marlon. My man, my man, my man. What's happening? How are you? How are you? I'm doing great, man. The sun is out. My eyes are open, so I can't complain. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Indeed. <laughs> so let's get right down to it. So let's get right down to it. I see, hear an echo. I see, hear an echo. That, that, is that me or is that you? Can, can you hear me? I can hear you now. I can hear you now. I hear an echo. hear an echo. <laughs> How about this? How about you call back? How about you call back? Okay, I'll call you back right now, man. Not a problem. All right. All right. I'm going to get Marlon to call back. Had a little echo there. No big deal. We fix it. Get back to doing what we've been doing. Again, NBA Finals, man. And, and we all know it's done. We all know it's over. We all know it's a tall, tall, tall order for Cleveland to come back in this series. We all know it's impossible for Cleveland to come back. Let's bring him in now. We're going to bring Marlon back in. Marlon! Hey, Paul, can you hear me better now, man? All better, all good. 
So Great. let's get right down to it. Three games up to nothing. I mean, obviously at this point, no team has ever come back from 3-0 in NBA history. Is it possible? I got to ask it. Why, why even ask this question, man? <laughs> we all know the answer. Stevie Wonder could see this. There's no way. There's no way. And, and, and you know what, man? It, it's disappointing because, granted, everyone was looking forward to this matchup. But I'll be honest. There's some guys on the Cavs roster that wasn't looking forward to this matchup. And it, it shows in the games. It, it just shows, man. Uh, it, it's almost like a boxing match. It's, it's almost like Holyfield, Riddick, Bowe. That third time around, you knew there was nothing that was going to stop Holyfield. And, and Bo got a little fat, you know, said, hey, I had beaten this guy once before. You know, the second matchup was a toss-up. And now this third one, I don't really need to prepare and that's really what you're seeing right now. And it's it's unfortunate uh, for the fans. It's unfortunate for the NBA to a certain degree. And I'll say this, and this is not to uh, make an excuse. It's kind of bad for LeBron because he's going to catch all of the flack for this. But what else can this guy do? You, you know, yeah. he's giving you points. He's giving you rebounds. Hell, he's even giving you turnovers. But what else can he do? <laughs> there, there's there's nothing else for for him to do. And to his credit, uh, he hasn't bashed teammates. He, he's been very uplifting. Like body language is something that's very big to me. And I'm, he's got to be a great actor because. There's no way that I could hide my frustration with some of my teammates the way he, he's done that. Uh, some of the bonehead plays that those other guys, and you know, I, I won't say their names because I, I think I crushed them enough last week on your show, but some of the plays that these guys are making, it, it'll just make you scratch your head. Like, what were you thinking? Uh, and, and you know what? I, I can't even hold it back, man, so I just got to say it. You know, Iman Shumpert's foul at half court when the Cavs are already in the bonus and you send Stephen Curry to the line. What do you think? And then you're going to trash talk with him as he's walking to the free throw line. J.R. Smith hits the three, puts the pistol sign up, and then puts the pistol back in his holster. Warriors come back now scoring a layup. What do you think? Uh, Tristan Thompson, what do you think? Where are you? You know, I, I saw Jalen Rose talk about the Kardashian curse uh, the, the other day on, on, on a post-game uh, talk. And where are you? Like, it's the biggest moment of the season, and, and these guys aren't showing up. And, and it, it's very disappointing. Uh, if I'm a Cavs fan, I'm disappointed. If I'm an NBA fan, I'm disappointed. You know, growing up, we're taught – to be the best, you got to go up against the best. Well, the best is standing right in front of you. You know, they're wearing that uniform that has the Golden Gate Bridge on it. And <laughs> you're not trying to take it to them. I have a problem with that. And also, I'm not going to absolve LeBron because I thought it was a bonehead play near the end there when Kevin Durant hit that three. I thought LeBron, and maybe it was fatigue, but LeBron knew if, if you – Kevin Durant has hit that three-point shot his whole career. Just coming in and stepping into a three-point shot, he's done that his whole career. I got to go at LeBron for that one. I mean, you got to at least step out to that line. I mean, because a three kills you in that situation. I mean, so I, – I, 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 would, I would have to agree with, with you, and I think you and I might have even texted back and forth on that play. On, on a ball screen situation with Durant, uh, but you know what, man? It, it's not even LeBron. It, it's a universal thing that guys just melt on screens for no reason. Right. Whereas trying to right. fight over the screen or fight through the screen, you give yourself a chance. 
but when you melt on the screen, you give yourself no chance at all. And, and that play actually played into the Warriors' hands because it's a pick-and-roll situation with Kevin Love. He's not going to step out on Durant. And b- by the time they decided what they were going to do, the ball was in the net, the Warriors were back on defense ready to play. So I- I'd agree with you on that one. A bonehead play by LeBron and probably cost them the series. And to your point, in terms of LeBron, he's averaged a triple-double in this series. So he's pretty much done everything that he's needed to do in order to win this particular series. But at the end of the day, it's just not enough, and they don't have enough to beat the Golden State Warriors. And and if you look at the way everything has transpired, I mean, I, I talked about this earlier, but they got outscored by 14 points in game one in the second half. They got they got outscored by 16 points in the second half in game two, and then they got outscored by 10 points in the fourth quarter of game number three. And then if you look at LeBron's numbers, you know, 39 points in, in the first quarter, 25 points in the second quarter, 70%, you know, from the field in that first quarter, 71% in that second quarter. But then you look at the second half, 40% in the third quarter from the field, 36%. And then 21 points in the third and 11 points in the fourth quarter. So I think it just comes back to Golden State just having too much firepower and it takes too much energy and it just takes too much everything in order for Cleveland to to outscore this team. This team is just, it's hard to outscore the Golden State Warriors. It it, it is. And the part that baffles me is the Cavs have, tried to outscore them every game where and I, I can't speak for the Cleveland Cavaliers coaching staff. They, they do a great job. I would still try to slow the, the game down. Uh, Golden State doesn't want to play a game in the 80s, 90s. So why not try to play the opposite of that? Or excuse me, play the opposite of what they like to do. Lessen the possession. Run down the shot clock you're probably going to run a pick-and-roll switch anyway, so why not just run it with 10 seconds? Even if you have an opportunity to push the ball on a fast break, slow the ball up because you're playing into their hands anyway because if you score fast, chances are you're not going to get back in time to stop them in transition, and they're going to have a bucket. So it just negated everything you just did to get your bucket. So I think if they can slow the ball down and run a half-court offense, you give yourself a slight chance. But, you know, with the way the Warriors are playing now, it's tough. I mean, you think about it. The Cavs have thrown every punch that they can throw. The Warriors have taken those hits and then come back and hit harder. And, Paul, I'll be honest with you, Draymond Gray still hasn't played. (laughs) <laughs> he really hasn't come to the party. He really hasn't. <laughs> it's, I mean, let, let's ask this now. I mean, obviously we all know that the Golden State Warriors are going to win this series, whether it's in three, whether it's, I mean, whether it's in four or five or what have you, they're going to win this series. So, and we got Paul Pierce now calling Kevin Durant the best player in basketball. I can't completely ride with that, but because we all saw with KD last year with the with OKC an opportunity to knock off this Golden State team, and it, you know him and Russell Westbrook they played turnover the, the turnover game late in that particular game, and KD didn't have enough to get over Golden State when he was up three games to one. So I can't ride with KD as the best player in the NBA at this point. Your thoughts on Paul Pierce and and, and saying that KD is the best player at this point? Uh, I I think that's a little bit of a stretch. Uh, obviously, you know, Katie has a lot more to work with. But at the same time, you don't really see a difference in his game now than you did at OKC. And, and actually, what has happened, his game has probably evolved even more because he's doing all this scoring with less shots and movement of the ball. 
what what we see when he was at OKC, he would be he would have the ball top of the key, left dribble pull up, right dribble pull up. But now he's getting this stuff within the flow of a team. And that's not easy to do when you're a guy your entire career. I mean, you probably even go back to high school where he's been the guy and it's been whatever he's wanted to do. But now, you know, you've got three other guys that can do whatever they want to do when they have the ball in regards to to Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and and Draymond Green. So to, to say that he's the best in the game right now, I get it. I still think it's a little bit of a stretch because he's got more to work with than LeBron James does. We're talking to Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill. So we look at it now, and obviously Golden State has an opportunity to go 16-0 and in these playoffs. Never, did, never been done before. This is a team that won 67 games. This is a team that has four All-Stars. This is a team that I think – I'm not saying they're the greatest team of all time, but you go 16-0 in the playoffs, you win 67 games, we got to have a conversation. So, your thoughts, Golden State, greatest of all time? I mean, can we can we put them in the conversation at least? I'm going to have to say yes. I saw the stuff on social media, Magic Johnson saying that, you know, his Lakers teams would – beat, uh, you know, this Warriors team, and, and, you know, you just had Craig on who, you know, if, if people listening to your show didn't have a chance to see Craig Hodges shoot the basketball, I, I think you need to go to, to YouTube and watch him in the early 90s three-point shooting contest. Uh, cool. You know, one, one of the greatest shooters to, to ever step on the NBA floor. Uh, you know, unfortunate, you know, the alleged blackballed it, blackballing that he's getting right now. Um, you know, I, I think there is a, a NBA club that, that he can help and, and be an asset to. Um, but, you know, he talked about his teams uh, of the early 90s with the Bulls and, you know, the Bulls' mid-90s teams. I, I'm going to say this. Different eras, but this Warriors team, I, I think, can beat any of those teams. And the reason why I say that I'll start with the Lakers first. I, I love Matthew Johnson. He's probably my all-time favorite player, but these Warriors probably run just as much as those Lakers did. And besides Michael Cooper and maybe James Worthy, who else is defending? Nobody. So that that takes them out of the mix. The early Bulls teams, let, let's, let's just be real. It, it was Mike and, and Scotty. Maybe Horace, maybe, depending on the day. They're not beating this Warriors team. And the Bulls of that second three-peat would probably give the Warriors their best chance and maybe maybe get them just from the mental standpoint, you know. But there's four guys on the Warriors that can beat you any any night. And that's tough. that's tough to go off against, man. I don't care who you are, man, you know, for as good as Mike was, he's never played a team like this Warriors team in the finals. Uh, you know, he's always played against teams that have had two guys. You know, Seattle had Kemp and Peyton. Utah, obviously, Malone and uh, Stockton. And then those earlier teams, you know, when they played Portland in, in 92, it was Clyde Drexler. It's one guy. He played Phoenix. You know, Charles Barkley was great that year, but, you KJ. know, Kevin Johnson was – was, but yeah, but even he was up and down, man. You know, it's, it's not like if I throw out Kevin Johnson's name, you, you know, you're not going to say, ooh, okay, man, yeah, I can see that. You, you're going to you're gonna have a little, eh, uh, you know, you, you, you're not, not going to be certain. So – yeah, I, I I just think this Warriors team is just tough, man. And to go sixteen and zero is pretty impressive if they if they do do that. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. And again, you couple that with the sixty-seven games, that's a hard thing to do as well. I mean, let's look at this. I look at the Golden State Warriors. 
And, you know, ultimately Draymond Green last year, you know, he did some things, you know, touching LeBron's groin or trying to go after his groin or what have you. But anyway, he got suspended. And ultimately that suspension helped Cleveland win the title. But if you look at that suspension, that suspension may have helped create a dynasty in Golden State. Do we have a possible dynasty here in Golden State if they find a way to keep this team together and this team finds a way to stay healthy? I, I think you do. You, you're looking at a team that can probably win the next three, four, five titles. And, you know, I'm, I'm sounding like LeBron here, but look at all those guys. None of those guys are over or anywhere near 30. So if they can keep them together now, egos, you got to keep that in check. They've been able to do it so far this year. Can you do it for another year and continue that? You don't know, but it, it, it's impressive, man. And I, I know I, I've seen that Durant would take a pay cut to stay around and, you know, make things work out. That That's all great. You know, you say that now, but when the time comes, do you say, hey, where's my money? So I think all that will play into how things go, but I, I think it could be a dynasty. Yeah, and and – and that's just the reality of it. I mean, KD is still big time. Steph's still big time. Clay's still big time. Draymond, you know, he does what he does. And it could legitimately be a dynasty. I mean, there's nobody out of the East that you can say could beat this uh, Golden State team in seven. The only team that we thought could do it is this Cavalier team. And obviously, they're overmatched. It's just the reality of the situation. So let me ask you this. Do we all now see why LeBron was saying we need playmakers, we need this, we need that? He knew. You do, but the the thing the most that I think you need is defenders. You got to have guys that take pride in defense. You know, I I look at, you know, Schumper takes pride in defense, but he just does bonehead things on the defensive end and the offensive end. JR has got to play better defense. You know, but defense is, is something, and, and maybe I'm a little different. If you take pride in it, you can play. You, you know, there's a will to want to play defense. And, and it's the it's the one part of the game that players today don't want to do. And right. it, it's unfortunate because it, it is hurting the game. But you tell me, like, if those guys made somewhat of an effort on the defensive end, they give themselves a much better chance to to win these games that, that they're in. Uh, you know, we, we talk about – you spoke about LeBron fighting over the screen. He didn't do that. But let's talk about transition. There was a play the other night in transition with, with the Warriors where Jared Smith literally runs out of the way and goes to guard the three-point line. Ball's coming at him. Looks like a matador running to the wing to stop a three-point shooter. And, you know, I look at that stuff as like, hey, you could have stopped that ball if you wanted to, but you decided to take the easy way out. And, and you know, it, it's the down part of the game, but I get it. Uh, but defense wins championships, as we've seen. When the Warriors need to strap up, they do that. For sure. And, and we'll leave it right there. So before we get out of here, real quick, does Cleveland win tonight? No. If there was a game for them to win, it would be, it would have been game three, I thought. So it ends tonight. And hopefully you're wrong because I would like to see some more basketball, but I, I think, unfortunately, so you might be so right. Too. Yeah, I, I think I'm you might be right. I'm getting rid of my cable until – I'm getting rid of my cable until next year. So, But I hope you're right. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Marlon, as always, man, appreciate it. No, thanks for having me, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash pgan, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at go for a Gant. Hit us up on Facebook, go for a Gant. Also, 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 hit up the website, goforagantsports.com. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a nice weekend. Go Cavs, because I want to see more basketball. See you later. Take care. Bye.